This is how we overcome it. Moving on, keep it up. Reaching to the world. Arms open, arms open, yeah. This is how we practice. Welcome back to Crazy Face Talk. I'm Steve. I'm Erica. And I'm Sarah. So friends, we are in episode four of our um, latest series that we are calling the Mandela Effect of the Bible, in which we are looking at things that we would have sworn are somewhere in scripture. Uh, but as we look closer, either those characters are absolutely not scripture at all, or we have taken bits and pieces of uh, of scripture and made those characters all into one larger idea than what it really is. So we've looked at things like uh, the innkeeper from the nativity story, the angel of death from Passover. And we spent our last episode talking about Lucifer, Satan, the devil, and how we tend to put all three of those characters together into one massive personified being of evil. So where are we taking this current episode? So, This episode is going to be very similar to last week, because this week we're going to talk about the Antichrist. And the Antichrist plays almost a very similar role, I think, as the Satan does. Um, But more more in the the epistles and the book of Revelation, um, where it is something or someone that is opposing jesus hence antichrist okay yeah so that's super helpful that like we don't have to do nearly as much um ancient translation with antichrist (laughs) as we do for satan it's a it's a shocker for a lot of people to discover what we talked about last time that satan is not a proper name like phil or susan but it's a word that means accuser but antichrist is pretty obvious not a name but a title that means opposed to anti opposite of Christ and Christ being uh, for Christians, Jesus, but more broadly, the anointed one, the chosen one, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I would say, thanks to the Left Behind series that came out in what, the 90s, mm-hmm. um, you know, Tim mm-hmm. LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins, their character, the Antichrist, was one individual, right? right. Like that the Antichrist mm-hmm. is this world power person and lee i haven't read the, these books in forever so forgive me if i get this slightly <laughs> wrong uh, but is in league with the devil and is trying to do something really bad i don't really know what he's trying to do but like it's very bad and so i think because of those books which like for a lot of americans has kind of like that is what they now visualize with the book of revelation in Mm -hmm. particular but like the antichrist that it this is a almost mythical one individual who now has this title very similar to how jesus has the title the christ Mm -hmm. and so again like we mentioned last week about the um how people want to make a duality between God versus the devil and how they are equal powers. This is almost the same thing that the antichrist is just as powerful as the Christ. And they are opposing one another. They are fighting one another. And you're, you're trying to emphasize that even though that's a popular conception, that that's not really the the case that to read the new Testament. Right. Just like the whole sweep of the Bible does not say God and the devil are equal and opposite, but God is always more powerful and is guaranteed the winner. 
same thing between Jesus and Antichrist, maybe it's more helpful than to talk about Antichrist as like a counterfeit, like so that like um, mm -hmm. presenting itself as equal, but not. So like if I make a counterfeit right. $20 bill with um, Fred Flintstone on the you know, portrait or something like that, it claims to be equal and, and uh, worth and value, but it is clearly a fake and a phony and worthless. And that the same notion that there certainly are powers that present themselves as uh, equal to or in place of Christ, but they're it's not that they're equal and opposite. They're they're frauds or counterfeit. Maybe that idea of being instead of is helpful as well. Um, and that's that also gets back at the, at the Greek as well. That that prefix anti, we're used to hearing it as opposite of, but it often gets used in ancient Greek as like put something that puts itself in place of. So in that sense, could be like an opposite. But um, that there are lots of things that would put themselves in the place of Christ or or claim the role of Lord that only belongs to Jesus. Yeah, I think my um, my grandparents, who had a very strong um, religious influence on on me as a very young child, um, they would often talk about the Antichrist in terms of ideology, I, I, idolatry. Sorry, idolatry. Yeah. Um, so in the sense that like anything that you put as an idol, right, in your life becomes the Antichrist for you. Right. Right. So if you have a tendency to worship money, if you have a tendency to um, prioritize making money over serving God, then that becomes the Antichrist for you. Yeah. And in the ancient world, in the first century, as Christianity is emerging and sees itself under threat against the empire, how there's often that competition between the powers of the day, like the emperor who claims the title of Lord and Savior, and Christians who go, no, Jesus is both of those, and anybody who sets himself up as Lord and Savior, that's anti-Christ. So there's, you know, it's fine to have kings or kingdoms or rulers, we need to have civil government, but when you claim that position of being Lord and Savior, you're now, that's Jesus' turf, and that makes you opposed to Christ, and certainly the way that the empire does things through domination and coercion is opposed to anti the way of Jesus, which ultimately reigns through suffering, love, and through a cross. So uh, you, you get that real clear sense in the late New Testament as it's becoming clear the way of Jesus is opposed to the way of empire. So the way of empire is anti-Christ. So it's almost like it doesn't matter which emperor is on the throne, they're still playing the same game. So maybe Domitian is worse than Tiberius, or maybe um, uh, Claudius is worse than uh, Augustus or something like that. But they're all doing the same thing, claiming to take that same role that only belongs to Jesus, who is Lord and who is Savior. So it sounds like even just from the short conversation we've had so far, that there have been in history and probably still are today, multiple antichrist. Versus so often when we hear this spoken of, we think that it's going to be someday in the future, a singular right. person right. like the Left Behind series made it out to be. Right. And that's exactly the point that the letter we call First John makes. Right. So there's a passage mm -hmm. in First John where the author says, little children, that's the way he talks to his people he's reading. And I'm not sure if that's complimentary or patronizing. Little children, <laughs> you've heard the Antichrist yes. is coming, he says. And then he goes, ah, and indeed, many Antichrists have already come. And he's writing late first century. Right. So I mean, like 
40 40 years after Jesus, and he's saying many antichrists have already come. So clearly, first John seems to think this isn't the world should wait for one really bad person who unites the world governments as an evil empire against God. But like anything or anyone that sets themselves up in that anti-opposed to the way of Christ role, you can label anti-Christ. So it certainly could be somebody who claims divine power for themselves or gets himself elected world president, but it might be more subtle than that. But I'm kind of remembering that around this time, um, you know, preceding, like the, the, the kind of like 150 years before, during, and after Jesus, Mm -hmm. Jesus wasn't the only teacher running around this geographical area doing things like teachings and um doing healings and um Mm -hmm. even miracles um and we see a brief glimpse at one point when jesus is alive and his disciples are saying hey this guy's doing healings and stuff in your name um but we don't know who he is and jesus says like a pretty famous line of like if he's not against me then he is for me let him let him be Mm -hmm. um uh, so I always wondered if this particular line in First John is um, maybe in reference to some of those other guys running around doing kind of the same things that Jesus was doing, um, but wasn't Jesus and not doing it in God's name. And so therefore kind of distracting people from what Jesus was doing because they're all like, hey, this guy's doing very similar things. Yeah. What makes Jesus any different? And you even get places where Jesus will warn his disciples saying, you know, be careful. Many will come in my name saying I am he. And, you know, and mm-hmm. Jesus makes a point. They don't fall for it. Um, and like you point out, there are a number of people who had messianic aspirations and whether they did or didn't do uh, miracles certainly would have been in that sort of I'm here to be God's Messiah and liberate us from Rome. So we're starting up an army, join the militia and Jesus is opposed to that way of dealing with evil, right? That like part of what made so many of those other would-be messiahs uh, wrong is uh, that they're they're ascribing to we're gonna we're gonna fight God's battles by taking up arms and fighting off, uh, you know, in, in the name of of uh, establishing the kingdom of God through our military force. And Jesus makes it real clear that's not my way. That's not God's way of doing this. So it's not that Jesus is pro-Roman Empire so much as we don't fight on the world's terms. We're not going to do things that way. And that all those other uh, would-be messiahs are picturing, no, we got to you know, rid the world of those terrible uh, Romans and every other oppressor and everybody who conspired with them, grab your weapons, we're going to go kill them. And Jesus seems to go, no, that's not my way. So they might claim to be the messiah. They are not. It's probably worth noting, too, not to complicate things, but I'm going to complicate things. While the word antichrist we've said can be used in that sort of broad sense of many antichrists have come says first john there are these other images or figures that show up in late new testament literature that would lend themselves to the idea of there's going to be one figure on the world scene and we got to at least know what to do with them so uh if i if memory serves paul or somebody writing in paul's style in what we call second thessalonians talks about coming man of lawlessness uh and that seems to picture a single figure uh, who's going to come on the world scene. Uh, and then the book of Revelation itself uses the image of uh, mm-hmm. someone who's a person, but is referred to as a beast. 
who sort of, again, sets himself up as uh, an antichrist kind of figure, someone who is opposed to the way of Jesus and even as part of like an unholy trinity, that whether there's God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, there's the beast and the prophet and the dragon or something. So like there's there's that kind of language going on in the book of Revelation that we at least need to deal with. What would this have meant to first century listeners? And were first century listeners being told, watch out for a one world leader like in the Left Behind novels, or are they being told something else? So my understanding of the book of Revelation in particular is that it was uh, apocryphal uh, apocryphal writing apocalyptic which means? yeah that's what i mean <laughs> and it's so so my understanding of that style of writing that genre of writing is that often it is that the writer is writing about current events but talking about it as if it is the future and in a coded way so that the people that they are writing about can't really pinpoint that they are a writing about them and b who is exactly writing to so that you know they don't get executed or whatever <laughs> right uh-huh. and so um john the writer of the book of revelation um was writing during a time during the roman occupation that things were really really bad and really really scary and emperor nero was kind of crazy and so my understanding of the book of Revelation is that this person that is being talked about is most likely Emperor Nero. And so then the idea that most of the book of Revelation, its original readers would have understood that, that the, the imagery is so clear that, oh, he's taking shots at the empire, that it's not like they're left to guess at that, but there's a lot of clues in the book of Revelation as well uh, that we're talking about. This is a writing against the powers of empire. Is that, that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah. So then in that case, the, the idea would be uh, Nero is the problem of the day, but maybe John, the writer of Revelation, might say, it's not that everything's going to be great once Nero's dead because other people may continue in that same pattern. So we're again back to that idea of it's not there's one person we have to kill or one villain we have to stop, but like this pattern keeps coming back. People keep operating in this way. Evil keeps organizing mm -hmm. itself in that kind of figure. And that's the, the deeper problem. It's not just we need to replace one emperor who's bad with an emperor who's good, but that becomes again and again and again the way of evil. So no matter who's sitting on the throne, there's this antichrist power to it. Yes. Because and the so system itself is operating that is anti-jesus and anti-jesus is teaching it's uh you know reminds me of um uh, there's there's a bible verse and i'm trying to think of it because it's really pretty and poetic about how jesus is not of the world oh not in the world but of the world that mm -hmm. kind of thing yeah i think that's what okay. i'm thinking of but how jesus is jesus's way is not the same way as the world Oh, okay, sure, sure. Or the mm -hmm. uh, you're uh, uh, he tells Peter you're setting your thing on your mind on human things, not on divine things. That kind of language, yes. yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Kind of that same same idea mm -hmm. of, um, yeah. So John writing Revelation might well have left room for after Nero's gone, there could be other people who take up this same mantle and do that same sad old shtick again and become an antichrist presence. But he's not saying 
you don't need to worry about evil at all until this antichrist figure comes on the scene but more like you have to be constantly vigilant there's always going to be somebody on the throne the superpower might change the name on the letterhead might change but mm -hmm. that same diabolical power of evil that's out there is going to keep trying that same old strategy over and over and over again yes um and would you say that's probably the same thing going on when thessalonians talks about a man of lawlessness figure that's kind of code language for the emperor or do you have other thoughts there i assume it's the same but i have not done great studies on first or second thessalonians so okay fair enough <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, Erica, a little bit about how this is hitting you. I know in our conversation last time we talked about how your background and experience puts you a little more comfortably talking about spiritual warfare. Well, how does that interact with talk about Antichrist? Um, I mean, everything we, we've said so far, that, are there multiple Antichrists? Yes. You know, how are there still Antichrists in the world? Absolutely. Um, you know, I... I don't know. Revelation's not one of those books that I have spent a, a ton of time in. Um, I had a professor in seminary who taught a whole semester class on Revelation. He called it NT666. And um, it's on iTunes, and yet I never took the class, and I've never watched it online. So, um, But yeah, I, I like I said before, I don't think the Antichrist is just one singular person. Um, but definitely i can see how the empire um from nero forward continues to be anti-christ um in, in quite a figure quite a literal way you know um that a lot of what the empire does even here and now continues to be against the teachings of christ and so hence um the antichrist is still alive and well in the world um but for me, I always tell my folks um, the key to the book of Revelation is that God wins in the end. You know, yes, there's still Antichrist out there, but um, eventually there won't be because God, Jesus will come back and God will win. I kind of wish that we use the language of the Antichrist more today. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like, other than talking about Left Behind, I don't really ever hear about the Antichrist. And, like, I know I don't ever talk about the Antichrist in sermons or preaching or anything like that. But, like, it would be, I don't know. Like, I'm not really sure how I would, like, incorporate this into my everyday language without it turning into that dualistic this is something that is just as powerful as Christ, but also recognizing that there are things that are opposite to Christ's teaching yeah. alive and well in our world. Yeah. And we should talk about it. Um, so I'm not, I'm not, and this is probably why I don't do it. I'm not sure how to talk about that without giving it more power than what it deserves. Yeah. And I, I, I and, think you're right that it's, Oh, go ahead. I have heard the, the term antichrist used outside it. Well, not talking about Left Behind, but in the same idea as Left Behind, people have called various popes the Antichrist and various presidents right. the Antichrist. And right. I think, there, if we did use that language more frequently in our churches and in our teachings as religious professionals and just as Christians in general, 
we might get a, more away from the idea that the Antichrist is one singular person. To me, it feels like language that is worth recovering, but it, you're right, it's going to be a hard battle mm -hmm. of recovering because people automatically you know, show up with their own assumptions about it, that it would either require a long, you know, probably decades-long movement across popular Christianity to recover that language and say, we're not talking about the way you've heard it before and left behind, we're talking about in this other way, um, that it, it almost feels like, is that language even worth going back to because people have loaded it? it to me, it, it's ironically and sadly almost like the way Christ like the, the when Jesus um, asked his disciples, you know, who am I? And, and they go, you're the Messiah. And Jesus immediately shuts it down and goes, OK, and instead uses that title son of man, because Messiah is so loaded to term and everybody pictures mm -hmm. military leader, that kind of thing. And that they can't unlearn that, um, that it it feels like we have the same trouble with Antichrist. But it's a, a word that I wish we could recover, because unlike good or evil or devil or god like last time that it's so easy to just make your villain the people who you don't like your opponents make them demonic uh and dehumanize them antichrist has a particularity of it's whatever is opposed to jesus folks and the particularity of jesus matters so if jesus is love your enemies hating your enemies is antichrist i mean like that 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 would be helpful language to recover yeah i mean i think and i would be like if i were to use this on a more regular basis i don't think i would ever use it to call a person antichrist right. Mm -hmm. right like i don't think that that is helpful because yeah. as a lutheran i am a strong believer that we are all saints and sinners right, right and right. by calling mm -hmm. someone an antichrist i think emphasizes too much of their sinful nature without recognizing that they are also saints that sure. they are also a beloved child of god um but like, I think for me, it would be more calling like, oh, homophobia, I think is an antichrist thing because you are hating a group of people. Racism is yeah, yeah. antichrist. Like all of those like mm -hmm. isms where you are taking just a group of people for whatever reason and hating on them. That is not what Christ would want. Right. And there, yeah, it makes it clear you're not targeting people and just labeling them your enemies in the worst possible language yeah it's about and it's about keeping it technical this way of thinking this pattern of thinking or this practice mm -hmm. is anti-christ that i yes. think that that's and it would it would even at that it's hard work to recover but that that's uh worth recovering but probably in like a place where we can carry more nuance than a sunday morning sermon that it's almost got to be more in-depth study where we can have the back and forth so that you know if someone goes oh yeah anti-christ you're talking about our enemies no like and almost we mm -hmm. need to be able to say, there are parts of me when I'm turning away from Jesus, gulp, that I act in ways that are anti-Christ. That if we can't say about right. the place in ourselves, uh, it's not useful doing. And that that's a that's a difficult thing for us to admit that we're in that category as well. Yes. But even so, I would still want to make it clear that even if me or you or whomever is acting like you know yeah. doing something that's racist or sexist or whatever mm -hmm. i'm still not calling the person right, right who right, is right. acting mm -hmm. in that way antichrist yeah, yeah. no yeah. like but i don't want to attribute like i don't want to attach that title right 
right, to right. one individual. So it's almost like the opposite of what we said about Satan last time, that with Satan, it's helpful to recover. That's a title. That's the Satan, the accuser. And we're referring to that one figure in ancient Hebrew cosmology. But Antichrist is almost best used as an adjective to describe a thing, not a label for a person either one world leader in the future or people now as our enemies, that's not a smart move to make. Correct. I don't and and do the that. biggest struggle to bring Antichrist back in, in the way you're talking about, Sarah, is that we've convoluted so much of who we are, especially in America. Um, we've convoluted so much of Christianity with nationalism. Right. And, and so many other things that we think that all because you know we act in this way we're acting christian which really that that's not we're being right you know maybe we're being patriotic and maybe we're being patriotic in a good way maybe we're being patriotic in a bad way mm -hmm. but we we've convoluted that with also being christian right and right. so like to bring that idea of antichrist back and not make it a label for an individual but yeah. also to start making those drawing the line between what truly is jesus following you know yeah. actions and what is christian nationalism yeah would be I difficult a, the, the early centuries of christians if they would have heard 21st century american christians saying by the way we have our flags in church and we pledge allegiance <laughs> to the flag they would have said that's exactly what they put us mm -hmm. to death for not doing in the time of the empire, right? That we wouldn't right. say Caesar is Lord. We wouldn't give our allegiance to Caesar. And those things are exactly what we were willing to die for. <laughs> you welcomely, you know, mm -hmm. uh, brought them right in. So like, I have a feeling that even what, what kinds of things would be identified as being anti-Christ or things that set themselves up as opposed to Christ has changed over the 2000 years of Christian history. So maybe to say, how do we make sense of this category today now it sounds like with a lot of nuance and it sounds like we've tried to say the, the definitely that the bible is not only saying there's one future world leader to be afraid of and we should be real real careful about even using it in a broad sense to other things because it's real easy to attach it to people and make people into the enemy rather than this action or mindset or attitude could be mm -hmm. anti I almost wonder if it'd be helpful to recover the hyphen or to put the hyphen in in English and say, I'm not calling you the Antichrist. I'm saying this attitude is Antichrist. Um, uh, mm, you know, yeah. Like, and to say, I'm not, there's not a label for you. This is to say that action is opposed to, to recover that idea of this is opposed to the way of Jesus. Why do I think that? Here's what Jesus says. Here's how that's opposed to the way of Jesus. Yes. I think the yeah. hyphen would be really helpful. <laughs> <laughs> This this feels like our whole conversation um, comes back to that uh, line of Alexander Solzhenitsyn, that the line between good and evil doesn't run outside, be like, I'm the good person, you're the bad person, but runs through every human heart that it's there's parts of me that is capable of great evil. And I need mm -hmm. to be able to name that. So Christianity can't get away from the language of there's evil in the world or the language of there are things that are consistent with the character of Christ and there are things that are not consistent with the character of Christ, but it's not. I'm all good, you're all bad, because we have a way of making it. Whoever I don't like must be all bad or is all antichrist. And instead going, that line runs through me. Um, and once I can see that, then I can truth tell about myself. This action or this attitude in me needs to be changed. It's opposed to Christ. And this attitude or action I see elsewhere is opposed to Christ. That can be called out as antichrist without saying you as a person are irredeemably the antichrist. 
Well, I can't that, wait to see where we go next. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> Not to take us down another rabbit hole, but maybe something to think about. Um, is the Antichrist unredeemable? Is somebody who is acting so in, in a way that we would consider them to be Antichrist so in their actions? A, so a person. Yeah, I, I would say no, they are redeemable because God can choose to redeem whomever God chooses. And I'm I I would push even further on that and say I think we've got more than just the theoretical line for that. But like, so there's um, Jesus telling his disciples he's going to fulfill his messianic Christly duty by suffering and dying on a cross. Peter blurts out, "This will never happen. I'll die for you before you get crucified." And Jesus' response is, "Get behind me, Satan! You're putting your mind mm-hmm. on divine on non-divine things, human things." So, like that, that language is almost as strong as you can get. Of that's anti-Christ. My way is the way of the cross, Peter. Um, and that even though Peter not only has blurts that wrong thing out, literally at the moment of truth, he denies even knowing Jesus three times. That's about as far away as you can get from loyalty and faithfulness to Jesus, and he gets restored. So I don't think it's a matter of there's a point where you're so far gone it's impossible. I don't know that automatically guarantees that everybody always does, but I do think it says from God's Mm -hmm. side there's no point at which God is willing to say you're too far gone. If even Peter, uh, having you know, said the the thing that is most anti-Christ possible, and Jesus calls him out on it, and Peter is redeemed. Or I think a central, central argument, too, is uh, Paul in Romans 5, who goes to the point of saying, not just while we were sinners, Christ died for us, but he pushes it to while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. And like mm-hmm. that's as strong oppositional language as you can get. So humanity at our worst is turned completely away from God, and God doesn't say, sorry, you're too far gone, you're irredeemable. That's exactly at the point at which Christ has died for us is when we were God's enemies so to me, that suggests there's no there's no point at which someone has been so long, so badly opposed to Christ, they can't be turned or brought or something like that. And I ask that question mostly because when we focus on that individual, that's the Antichrist. Right. We often so so often think that they are so far gone that they cannot right. be brought back. And um, this versus thinking somebody, somebody is, is acting in an Antichrist way. Right. Right, right. And that gets back at the idea of like, um, uh, we were talking last time about um, uh, if, if, if only we, if that uh, in, in, the, in the Holocaust, that's bigger than just Hitler. And sometimes, you know, the recurring mm-hmm. joke is if we could go back in time, can we stop Hitler? But like, it's, it's not just that Hitler was the only person who did and said terrible things. He was an architect of it. But like anybody, in a sense, like lots of people could have put themselves in that role. So that it's not just that one person did this awful, terrible thing. It certainly mm-hmm. was anti the way of Christ to murder millions of Jews. Um, but that's something that is not limited just to one person who is irredeemable. And we just got to get rid of him. It's it's almost like that sets us up for again. Ah, if we only find the one really bad person, then we kill them. Then the problem is solved. History is littered with right. people who identified who they thought the problem was. And whether it's one person or six million of them, that always ends badly. Mm-hmm. So next time, more places to look where we thought we were sure somebody or something was in the Bible and a closer look reveals maybe not quite the way we thought. So join us for more conversation, hopefully a little less uh, smell of sulfur next time uh, here on Crazy Faith Talk. See y'all.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.